ghost emoji. Uh, we are back. Sorry, we were we took a little bitty break last week because we were busy. Busy. Sorry to say. <laughs> but, so much uh, stuff going on. We did, and it was all fun, and we loved every minute of it. Mm, was it? <laughs> I I had a really good time, except that I did miss recording because I do actually really like this. But everything else was good. But we're back now, and we've got a pretty good episode all lined up. And so I'm ready to take Becca's hand and and lead y'all down a a path of spooky, true crime, unsolved mysteries stuff. We're talking about the Cecil Hotel. And Elisa Lamb. Yeah, and Elisa Lamb. Yeah, it's it's a combo. And there's a lot of stuff, so we we got as much info as we could. I'm sure there's probably some stuff that we're going to miss. And if we do, you know, tell us, because even if it's after the fact in the episode, I like... I like knowing all the ins and outs, all the bits and bobbles. And this one's pretty, pretty big. We're going to do kind of like a general overview of the hotel and its background. And then the main focus is going to be Elisa. Mm. Becca's going to take us in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also, Taylor did like all of the research on this because Aww. she's just better at doing this kind of stuff. And I need to step it up. But I'm also incredibly lazy. So anyways, without further ado, <laughs> you've got a lot of stuff going on, too. So it was kind of fun, though. Like I woke up this morning and I like popped my knuckles and I got all my links together and got on Spotify and put on some like study tracks and just felt like I was in college except I didn't have to do all the really annoying like citations at the end that sounds not (laughs) fun to me at all like I like going on reddit and reading all of the like spooky pasta that that's what I want to do like I don't I'm like true crime research unless I can watch a documentary on it I'm so lazy well this one I saw a couple like when I was going through and looking at like different articles some of them would have like related links and some of them were videos and stuff like that, which I thought about watching some of the documentaries, but honestly, for a little bit of a time crunch, it was faster just to to go through and read. Yeah. But there is stuff like that out there. So if that's something you're interested in, this case in particular had a lot of, of interest in it. And so there's a lot of laptop sleuths out there, and I can't speak for all of their authenticity, but there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time gleaning over everything. And I, I appreciate their work because uh, it made this a lot easier to find really interesting stuff. But basically, just <laughs> thanks for doing the research. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, so let's go in with a little bit of background on the Cecil Hotel. It was constructed in 1924. It was built in the Art Deco style, and it cost a million dollars, one million dollars to complete. Boasted an opulent marble lobby with stained glass windows potted palms, and an alabaster statuary. Several similar hotels had been established elsewhere downtown, but the area and the hotel were decimated by the Great Depression. It was renamed Stay on Main in 2011. And just to clarify, it's located in Los Angeles, California. Yeah, that's true. I like how I uh, totally left that out. (laughs) It's okay. I I did read a little bit about it, but not, you know, enough to consider it uh, research. Basically, like, it's in an area known as Skid Row, which has a lot of crime and has a lot of, like, transient citizens and stuff like that. But I'm guessing that the rename in 2011 was kind of to try and, like, separate itself from some some of its notoriety. Because, I mean, everywhere I looked, it was still always referred to the Cecil Hotel 
not very many people have really stuck with the stay on main rebranding. Like all of the court documents and stuff that I looked at were, I kept getting confused because they would be like the defendant stay on main. And I'm like, who's that? Where are we? We're at the Cecil Hotel, right? And they're like, no, we're stay on main. <laughs> Stop calling at the Cecil Hotel. <laughs> Um, another thing to note is the Cecil Hotel was part of the inspiration for um, American Horror Stories Hotel season. I know. I actually uh, did not watch that one. Did you see it? Yeah, I watched it. Um, the first episode is very uh, rough and it has like a rape scene in it that is very uh, intense and triggery. So if that bothers you, I would skip the first episode. Um, but the rest of it I actually enjoyed, like, towards the end, I thought it was interesting and good, but the beginning sort of, I don't know, it was definitely, you could feel his, like, trying to just shock, and that's so boring to me, but. Yeah, boring and. Shitty. (laughs) Yeah, say, disrespectful, being like, you know what's the most shocking is this thing that a lot of people actually have to deal with. Yep. (laughs) And there's a lot of drug use, so if that bothers you, you know, maybe steer clear, but. In general, like, it was okay. It wasn't my favorite, but it wasn't horrible. Is it on, like, Netflix or anything now? I think so. I guess so, because they're two behind, because Roanoke was the most recent one, right? Yeah. Okay. I kind of fell off after, what's it called? Yeah. After um, Freak Show. Yeah, that one was kind of rough, and it made me feel a little uncomfortable about, I don't know, it's just, some of it felt a little exploitative, and I don't know. That guy just kind of gives me some weird feelings. What's his face? Ryan. Is it Ryan Murphy? I think it's Ryan Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's something to watch when you're bored. So, you know. Mm -hmm. Anyways, moving on. (laughs) So uh, one of the things about the Cecil Hotel um, is it's got a very bad reputation, not just because of like the area in general, but because it has kind of like a higher than average number of, like, murders and suicides and just generally, like, bad things that have happened there. So it's kind of got this reputation as being... I saw a lot of people refer to it as haunted, but the thing that stuck out most to me was just the overwhelming amount of crime that goes on there. Yeah, it's got a high volume of crime. Yeah. Uh, Los Angeles-based author and journalist James T. Bartlett, um, who's cataloged his findings in a 2016 publication called Gourmet Ghosts, acknowledges that with many thousands of guests per year, hotels are inevitably going to be the scene of accidents, natural deaths, suicides, crime, and even pure bad luck. The Cecil Hotel, however, seems to be so disproportionately blighted by tragedy and violence, even when compared to other hotels in pro- deprived parts of the city, that he writes, it is. it really is possible to wonder whether this building is cursed or that there are negative forces inside, which I was really interested in, but couldn't find anything to see, like, if there was, like, an actual curse or something, like, the location of the building, like something. I was like, is there some kind of frequency here that like makes people like act erratically or more aggressive or something like that? But I couldn't find anything. So that was just in my own brain. I'm definitely, uh, I I got that, that feel from, from researching it. Um, Wikipedia lists at least 10 suicides, which, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna list here just because they're all sad. They're all bad. Um, including one where a woman jumped off and landed on a pedestrian walking below. So they thought that one at first was a double suicide, but then after the autopsy, 
figured out that the other guy had just been in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's so sad. It is sad. And that's actually like, I wouldn't say a huge fear of mine, but my office is like in a mixed use area. And so every time I'm walking by, there's like these, the big, not big, like probably like a maybe four or five story apartment building. And then next to it is a huge um, we always call it the bank building, but I don't know if it's actually a bank building. I think there's a bank in it, um, but it's easily, you know, about 15 stories or so. And there was a point where they were like doing construction or possibly just like cleaning the windows or whatever. And they had it like all roped off because they didn't want anyone walking close to it because when people are working that high up, like even if you just drop like a wrench or something that would have normally, you know, bonked you on the head and, and been bad from that high up, like, you're dead. <laughs> and every time I walk by it, I always kind of look up because I'm like, what if someone like is, is up there and like drops something or, you know, it, it doesn't have like open balconies or anything. So it's, I'm not as worried about people falling, but it just, every time we walk by it to go to the 7-Eleven, I'm like, I'm really excited about going to get this energy drink, but I'm also very scared <laughs> that someone is going to fall on me and I'm going to die. Well, I have a new fear. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just something to be aware because I figure if you look up and you don't see anything like you're good or just walk a little farther out or walk on the other side of the street or just don't walk by really tall buildings. I'm just never going to leave my house again. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, this is why my family calls me Paranoid Parrot because like I can deal with all the paranormal stuff. I'm not really worried about that, but then we'll be going somewhere and I'm just like looking up at the building thinking about all the bad stuff that could happen. I'm like the little kid in Page Master. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, I just want everyone to be safe. It's only because I care. I know. <laughs> Makes me really glad that I'm medicated now, because otherwise I would be really worrying about this a lot more than I should. Spiraling. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, let's see. So that's just the suicide stuff. There's also been a lot of murders... Um, the most noticeable ones being, most of them are unsolved, including Pigeon Goldie Osgood, a retired telephone operator who was found dead in her ransacked room by a hotel worker distributing phone books on June 4th, uh, 1964. Ms. Osgood, who had earned her nickname due to the fact that she befriended and fed the birds in nearby Pershing Square, had been stabbed, strangled, and raped, and near her body was found the Dodgers cap she always wore and a paper sack full of bird seed. Um, soon after, there's a man named Jacques B. Ellinger uh, was seen walking through Pershing Square in bloodstained clothing, which... Hmm. Suspicious. Uh, yeah, only a lot. Um, but he was arrested, but cleared. Um, no one else was ever arrested for the murder. So a lot of these are unsolved. Um, I'm sure that Part of it, like, the area, since it does have a lot of crime, and I feel like a lot of times there's this idea that these people, like, well, you're involved with crime, like, it comes with the territory, kind of a victim blamey, like, if you're a drug dealer and you get killed, like, obviously that's gonna happen, we're not gonna work that hard to, like, look into it, kind of thing. Which is really, really messed up. Yeah. It's, like, still a person, still a person <laughs> that deserves, like, justice if they were murdered. Well, yeah, I'm like, you know, you're mad at this person for being a drug dealer, but what about the person who's a murderer? Yeah, a murderer. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's way worse than a drug dealer, but just just my opinion, I don't know. But then, you know, people like this who, you know, just feeding birds, like... <sighs> Poor lady. Didn't even have, you know, a weird reputation or, you know, a, a penchant for doing crime. 
just wanted to feed the birds. So there's there's a whole lot more of them, but there's there's just a lot for, for this one area. Even if it is a spot where there is a lot of crime, it just seems disproportionately high. Yeah. And it's had a couple of people, because there are short-term residents, like people who just stay at the hotel when they're vacationing, um, but there's also a lot of people who live there, like at the hotel, for extended stays. And some of those people have been uh, super not nice. I think I know who you're talking about, <laughs> according to the notes that I am reading. Are you reading ahead? <laughs> uh, I think we're about to talk about Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. The Night Stalker. Yep, that's the one. You read my mind. And oh, my man, notes. I'm, I'm so smart. Okay. <laughs> All right. So his victims, men, women, children, were chosen randomly and killed in a variety of ways with whatever weapon was handy. Apparently, he was not picky, um, often after a sexual assault. Most reports suggest that he was influenced as a teacher, teenager by his cousin. Man, I couldn't get through that sentence. But his cousin was a Green Beret who bragged about committing horrific acts in Vietnam and who later shot his wife to death in front of Ramirez. Jesus. Mm-hmm. My uncle was a Green Beret, but God, like, what the fuck? Mm-mm. Mm-mm, not cool. All right, so the Night Stalker was ultimately caught after a rape victim who'd been left alive got a look at his getaway car, which was a stolen Toyota that was found abandoned and connected to Ramirez by a single fingerprint. Thank God. Like, it's such a small, like, margin of of error on his part. Well, you say that, but then, like, when you read on, you find out, like, how much attention they weren't paying this guy in this area where he was staying. Because he stayed at, at the Cecil Hotel. <sighs> Sometimes, like, when you read about stuff and you're just like, it feels like this shouldn't have been that difficult to solve, but y'all were just like, who cares? I know. Like, I mean, obviously I've never been a detective or anything, so I I can't speak personally to it, but it is frustrating when you read stuff like this. And you're just like, how? Like, I get it. Maybe we didn't have the same technology and, and everything, but it just seemed like there was a lot, a lot to dig through and you would have found something. So all these people didn't have to die. (laughs) Anyways, once they had a suspect, police broadcasted his name and face widely, and Ramirez was recognized and beaten by a mob in East Los Angeles. Not Mm -hmm. gonna lie, he deserved that. Yep. He definitely had that coming. I don't approve of violence, but uh, he really, he really had that coming. He a bad man. He bad, bad. Um, He was convicted in 1989 of 13 counts of murder, five counts of attempted murder, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries, and sentenced to death. And remember, this is, like, probably only a small portion of what he actually did. Mm Mm-hmm. To which he said, no big deal. Death always comes with the territory. I'll see you in Disneyland. What a fucking asshole. Mm -hmm. Ramirez spent the next 23 years on death row at San Quentin, but died of lymphoma in 2013. He was 53. I wonder if it's normal to stay on death row for that long. I don't know. I feel like they, I would be nervous about leaving someone on death row like that for that long. Because I'd be like, what if he escapes? Like, he's already, you know, a wanted person. Of course, he's going to do like the worst possible things he can before he gets caught. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyways, Cecil Hotel is on Skid Row, an area that has a reputation for being overlooked by police unless they're called directly in due to rampant crime and homelessness, and that's most likely why he could operate out of the hotel with little suspicion. 
Uh, Ramirez would return to the Cecil after a killing and ditch his blood-soaked clothes in the dumpsters out back, then walk into the hotel either naked or probably, or maybe in his underwear, none of which would have raised an eyebrow since the Cecil in the 1980s was total, unmitigated chaos. That's what I'm saying, like... What a sentence! (laughs) All these people walking around in, like, bloody clothes and naked, (laughs) and people are like, I mean, he's probably not... A crime person. That's totally normal. Who doesn't walk around naked and shed their bloodstained clothes? I mean, that's why I wanted a house of my own, so I can just hang out in my bloodstained clothes without anybody bothering me. Yep. It's really relaxing. Pretty much. (laughs) God. So he was one of the people who, who lived there, and he was living there during most of the time that he was committing those crimes. So frustrating, because it's not even like he was trying hard to not get caught. Like it's not like he was you know going from town to town randomly murdering people mm-hmm. and like leaving no evidence it's literally he would murder people dump his clothes in the dumpster probably the same dumpster every fucking time mm-hmm. and walk butt-ass naked into the hotel he was staying in for how many years probably months i don't know god that is so frustrating if you think that one's frustrating just wait till you hear about jack unterwerger uh, okay <laughs> You go. Uh, so <laughs> Jack Unterwerger was another guy who was um, kind of like a famous resident of the Cecil for bad reasons after the fact. All right. So Jack Unterwerger, um, and he's Austrian, so I don't know if the pronunci- uh, the correct pronunciation of that would be like Unterwerger, but I'm going to say Unterwerger because it makes me feel less silly. That's fair. <laughs> So, um, in 1991, six years after Ramirez was caught and sentenced to death, a 41-year-old Austrian journalist named Jack Unterwerger checked into the Cecil while he worked on a story about crime in L.A. for an Austrian magazine. Um, He used his reporting work to secure ride-alongs with LAPD vice cops, and those trips were revealed as scouting missions when it was later discovered that Unterwerger was also a serial killer with a penchant for strangling prostitutes. Um, It is suspected, but was never proven, um, that he chose the Cecil because of its connection to Ramirez. So it might have been possible that he knew that you could operate out of there without having people look into you too much. But there's there's no proof. But I think it's a safe assumption, (laughs) honestly. You would think that the police would put, like, a spotlight on that, but apparently they were like, nope, just one off. (laughs) Just, just one... One messed up guy, it's never going to happen again. Nobody would definitely think like, well, he didn't get caught for however long. Maybe I won't get caught. God, this is... Hmm. All right. Um, When Austrian police connected the strangulation deaths of three L.A. sex workers with a series of six unsolved murders back home, all of them prostitutes had been sexually assaulted and strangled with their own bras using a distinct ligature. I know. Unterwerger fled and was arrested in Miami in February of 1992. Um, Unterwerger, it turns out, had started abusing prostitutes in his youth and at age 24 was convicted of strangling an 18-year-old German woman named Margaret Schaefer with her own bra. He had been sentenced to life in prison, but while he was there, like, they were like, he's a model prisoner and he learned to read and he started writing, like, poems and prose and he eventually wrote like, um, an autobiography that I guess he somehow got published, and it was a huge success, and the European arts community lobbied for his release. 
trying to like push this idea that his rare literary talent came from him like verbalizing his problems like well he wrote a poem about it so he obviously feels remorse and like he's so smart and he's got a different perspective and we think he's learned his lesson yeah i don't know if people know this but you can be (laughs) smart and intelligent and educated and still fucking hate women like that happens it's not they're not mutually exclusive. You just like, have, you're better at covering it up. You're yep, just better you're at just, hiding it. You're better at tricking people. Like, I don't understand why. And then the fact that he had done this and gone to prison, and then he's riding along with the LAPD and this start hap- starts happening. And if they didn't put it together, I'm going to be so frustrated. I mean, I guess the internet didn't exist, but you'd think that before you allow someone to go on ride-alongs, you would, like, look into their past, like, oh, he was convicted of fucking strangling a sex worker, an 18-year-old sex worker, a baby, essentially, um, and he went to prison for it. And then now we're having all these, you know, mysterious sex workers dying in the same way. Hmm. Oh, good. You're not going to like this next part then, because the whole reason he was so popular and was a journalist and was doing this was because in 1990, um, he had served 15 years, he was granted parole, and almost overnight became a popular TV host and journalist. So, like, people knew about him. He was on the television. So, like, and he was, like, a crime writer. I don't know. There's no way they couldn't have known. But within the year, he was in California, and he started killing women again, and then they were like, oh, shoot, you know who I bet that is? Underworker. (sighs) Ugh. Anyway, um, in June 1994, um, he, he had been extradited back to Austria because even though he had killed people here, he had killed more people um, back in Austria. So they convicted him of 11 murders and sentenced him to life with no chance of parole. Um, and, you know, in classic asshole fashion, um, that night he killed himself in his cell using the same signature lit- ligature um, by which he killed all the prostitutes in Los Angeles and Vienna. And that was his confession, basically. So, another stand-up citizen who lived at uh, the Cecil Hotel. Now stay on me. You still there? Yeah. You just mad? Why? Why do these things happen? I'm so mad. I don't know. I'm so mad. Well, that's, like, I mean, this was, like, in the 80s and 90s when you think that, like, we're not great at catching criminals as we are today, necessarily. But I'm like, this isn't, like, the Wild West of, like, the 30s and 40s when we don't have forensics, you know, or, like, proper investigative techniques. It's just really frustrating. And, I mean, because the other weird hotel story um that i know about is that i don't remember who it is it's this man that came over and uh well actually i don't know if he came from i feel like he did but i don't remember anyways he built a hotel and he built all these weird doors and windows that went to nothing and he murdered people who would like check in and you know it was in the i think the 20s or 30s and so it was uh h.h holmes yeah he built his like death castle and he yes, was taking in people castle. during the um the chicago world fair so there was tons That's of people right. coming in from out of town who needed somewhere to stay and he'd be like oh i have the perfect place for you and then he like had like tubes that would basically like pipe gas into their rooms and kill them yep 
I mean, that I can understand people being like, oh, well, they were just a runaway or, oh, well, they just disappeared. Oh, it's the 1930s. But like the 80s and 90s, like you're telling me that nobody could put two and two together until like they'd already killed so many people. It's just so frustrating. No, well, I mean, and unfortunately, I mean, he, Unterwerger, you know, his primary group of people that he was targeting was sex workers, which, you know, I feel like are notoriously, like, underrepresented when it comes to this is true justice for true. being murdered, which I'm sure has a lot to do with why they pick them as victims. So sad. Mm-hmm. And then the last one's more of just kind of like a clarification thing, because there's a lot of rumors about people who have been at the Cecil Hotel, and even though they've had a lot of people, sometimes they just kind of get lumped in to, like, add to the notoriety. And by that we mean Elizabeth Short. Yup. Rumors that Elizabeth Short, the so-called Black Dahlia, state that the Cecil are likely false, says Kim Cooper, a tour guide who is also a writer and has researched Short's (laughs) story extensively. Um, she did stay nearby and perhaps visited a bar a few doors up Main Street from the Cecil the night of her notorious murder, but that's the extent of her ties to the hotel. Still, Elizabeth Short's story has eerie parallels to Elisa Lamb's. Uh, as Cooper points out, each was a woman in her 20s traveling alone to L.A. from San Diego, last seen in a downtown hotel, and went missing for several days before being found dead under shocking conditions. Finally, and most apt, Cooper says, the death of both of these unfortunate young women inspired enormous media attention and speculation. Which is very true. Yep. And it's a a good lead-in for, I guess, because I think this is going to be the the bulk of the episode, even though we have been talking for quite a while about the other stuff. But the the thing that mainly brought us to the Cecil Hotel and why we kind of wanted to set the stage for it um, was the story about Elisa Lamb, who uh, stayed there and was found dead um, back in 2013. And you're probably familiar with it. I mean, I think everyone's probably heard a little bit about it, but since there hasn't been a lot of new information um, since the investigation was concluded, I don't know if many people still think about it or if they just think about, like, the elevator video and just kind of stop there probably i mean i don't know because i think the video is mainly what kind of like launched it into like sort of like paranormal unsolved murder um not notoriety i'm trying to think of the word but just like kind of making it like viral where a lot of people before when it was just like a missing foreign national it didn't get very much attention because you know it was a place where a lot of people go missing or are killed without much notice. Yeah, I remember seeing the video and it was very upsetting. Mm -hmm. Which I guess when we get to that part, we'll probably put a link to it just because we'll describe what happens in the video. Um, But I think seeing it kind of helps to establish like why people were so taken in by it and why people have like analyzed it as deeply as they have. Mm But anyway, so I guess, like, some some basic information um, about Elisa Lamb. Uh, She was a 21-year-old Canadian student. Um, She's from Vancouver, who uh, went missing while on a trip to Southern California. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression. Those were mental illnesses which her family tried to hide from other people. They apparently tried to keep it very secret. 
Um, but she did keep online blogs. Uh, she had a blog spot and then later on a Tumblr where she would talk about bits of her life, including her struggles with mental illness. And they were also just kind of like regular blogs where she would post pictures of like models and fashion photos and stuff like that. Like reading through it, it really establishes that she was just, you know, by most accounts, I mean, a, a normal girl, she had her, her struggles with mental illness, but she was pretty open about them on the internet, which makes me very sad that her family, instead of, like, allowing her to be open, like, with them, kind of, like, tried to keep it under wraps, which I'm sure didn't didn't help things at all. Mm-mm. Um, in those blogs, she relayed that she had had a relapse at the start of the school term that led to her dropping several classes, and she was worried that it would look bad on her transcripts because she wanted to go, she wanted to apply for graduate school. Um, her family claims that she had never had thoughts about suicide or attempted it, um, but because they were so secretive about it, I mean, I don't feel like she would have been comfortable telling them if she had ever had suicidal thoughts. Um, there was one thing I read that said that she had gone missing for a brief period of time before. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that's related or not, if she had possibly gone somewhere for treatment or if she had just been missing and then come back home. Yeah. It just seemed like they were very, you know, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to like say ashamed, but maybe just didn't want to address it. Unfortunately, I mean, a lot of mental illness stigma comes from family like especially if none of them have been diagnosed with something even though a lot of them probably it's somewhere in your family lineage it doesn't just like randomly appear normally Mm -hmm. but um it's it's really hard to be i I don't know feel that like isolation from your family and stuff and i doubt that she would have if she was having suicidal thoughts she would have confided in maybe a friend or someone Mm -hmm. rather than her family if they're that weird about talking about uh mental illness and the issues that come with it Mm -hmm. and that's something that we kind of wanted to make pretty clear as we're talking about this like as much as like it's interesting to read about the different theories and stuff like that that had tried to attribute it to like paranormal events and stuff like that and that the video and the elevator is kind of eerie to some people. I mean, at the base of it, I think we're kind of in agreement that most likely this is a young woman who was maybe having like an episode of psychosis or had like some kind of break with reality related to her mental illness and that someone most likely took advantage of her during this. And so for the sake of like the podcast and kind of like, you know, we try to investigate everything. We just want to make sure that we're being respectful of that because, you know, she's a real person dealing with real issues. And at the base of it, you know, it's just, it's a sad story about someone who, you know, was possibly killed. And if not killed, then still, you know, passed away under really like sad circumstances Mm -hmm. that were probably due in part to her mental illness. So that and i really don't appreciate the um the like trope of attributing people who are mentally ill or bipolar to being uh like creepy or erratic or this or that it's like those i feel like they're used in horror films and in horror stories as a weird tool and it's just not cool and so you know suggesting that her bipolar and her mental illness um, mental illnesses are somehow linked to the paranormal, like, I don't know, uh, feeling of it all is really silly because it's, 
I mean, your mental illness isn't you and it just makes up like a portion of you. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just. Well, it kind of, it just makes me think of like when you're dealing with stories about stuff like possession and things like that, that were most Mm -hmm. likely people suffering from like schizophrenia or real mental illnesses. But people are like, but it's so scary. Like they've got a weird voice and they're saying all this crazy stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it's like. No, you're making this into this, like, paranormal, otherworldly mm-hmm. thing when it's a very real disease that people are dealing with. And live with day to day, yeah. And, I mean, it's just literally a chemical imbalance in their brain. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not it's not anything more than that. So, anyways, we just wanted to be respectful. Yeah, sorry it's kind of a long aside, but that was one thing. Like, I was very interested in this, but I I don't want people to think that we're trying to make light of of anything regarding it like we're just trying to present what we've found on it without sensationalizing it yeah so i guess let's move on to the disappearance um so she checked into the cecil hotel on january 28th and um she was assigned to a shared room but two days later was moved to a private room after her roommates complained of odd behavior She kept in contact with her parents every day she was gone until January 13th of 2013. When they failed to hear from her, her family contacted LAPD and flew down to search for her. So obviously they loved her, but I mean, families, there are families that, you know, obviously love you, but may not feel comfortable talking about your mental illness. And maybe they just didn't want to talk about it publicly because there's such a stigma around it. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't want to assume that they're bad people or anything because obviously they loved her. Mm -hmm. Um, Hotel staff and a nearby bookstore owner claimed to have seen her alone. She was buying gifts at the bookstore and seemed cheerful and outgoing. Uh, LAPD searched the hotel where they could legally, but since they had no proof a crime had been committed, they were limited on where they could search. They did look on the rooftop with a K-9 unit, but apparently did not search the entire roof, the tanks. So, which I get. I feel like I always am really frustrated whenever I read stories about missing people because, you know, they're like, well, we can't look because we don't have, have proof or they haven't been missing long enough. But usually it's like those, that first, you know, day or so are so crucial. And I know it's like within the bounds of the law and there probably are a lot of people who like, you know, their phone's just dead and their family is just really worried, but they're actually totally fine or just want to disconnect. But then you've got stuff like this where you're like, no, I know you have no like proof, but I mean, something is obviously going on, especially like if they were aware that she had bipolar, Uh, I guess maybe they might not have known that she was starting to show um, odd behavior, but did they know if like her medication had recently changed or if she had like run out or gone off of it or anything not, like that? Not that I could find. Like when they did the autopsy and everything, um, they found like she had her medication in her room. Mm-hmm. She still had um, that, and there was traces of it still in her system. Um, but because mm-hmm. of the state of her body when they found it, it was hard to tell like the exact levels. That's sad. But. She had been taking it, so that's where it's it's a little bit hard to tell, but but as far as they could tell, she hadn't gone completely off of it, but there's no way, I guess, really to prove if she had, like, changed her dosage or taken some but not the other. I mean, yeah. and sometimes even when, like, you're on your medication and stuff, I mean, you can still have episodes. Well, I mean, you can be on the same, like, type of medication and then as you get older, like, either it doesn't work as well or uh, your, like, chemistry changes. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's possible that 
you know, especially since bipolar doesn't really surface until you're about 18. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if she had been on it and maybe they had, I don't know. I'm just like spitballing ideas, but Mm -hmm. finding the right medication and stuff is sort of a, it doesn't ever really stop, I feel like. Like for a time it works and then. You go back to trying to find like a good combination and dosage level and everything that works and making stuff like doesn't interfere with other things you're taking that's another thing if she was taking something um because i know that uh sometimes birth control can mess with the potency of certain drugs that um people with bipolar take but i mean Mm -hmm. the other thing is like there's two different kinds of bipolar and there's different medications depending on you know what your symptoms are Mm-hmm. etc so it's such a toss-up like unless i knew what she was taking etc and we knew like because i know that uh, birth control can cause seizures mm-hmm. in um certain uh it can it lowers the like because the medication prevents seizures it's like also used for epileptic people mm-hmm. and um if you take birth control on top of it this type of this one type of birth control um it can make the potency of the medication um i think it's like i don't know what it's called but um it can affect the potency and it can also cause seizures well i think on the on the wikipedia page it did list like what she was taking the only one i remember was seroquel seroquel which okay. it generally is usually treated for like insomnia or having like yeah. sleep stuff. Um, but there, there was a handful of other ones, but I can't remember what they were. So if you're interested in that, they do, they do list them. Okay. I might go look at that afterwards. Cause I'm very curious. Cause mm-hmm. it's just the mixture can go wrong so easily. Just like there's things that can make antibiotics make things stop working i mean yeah, birth control just, exactly so anyways sorry no no you're good the next thing we wanted to cover was the elevator video which i mentioned we'll probably uh send a link to um in the in the description um but they released it it was a week after she had last been seen um the lapd released this video of her in an elevator at the Cecil Hotel, kind of in an effort to, like, show people, like, this is what she was wearing, this is what she looked like, um, if you have any information or whatever. Because of of the nature of the video, people, I think, were less drawn to, like, oh, this is what she was wearing, this is what she looks like, to just kind of speculating, like, what was going on, because her movements in the video and her just general, like, demeanor um, was just i guess atypical trying to think of the right word but it's not it's not how something was happening with her it's not how someone who isn't scared would act Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like in the video she looks scared or like wary or Mm -hmm. she just doesn't look like she's comfortable at all and normally when you're in an elevator you're sort of like unless you have a fear of elevators you're sort of just waiting for it to be over you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. okay get to the next floor so, but it was, it was that, and then also, um, people noticed pretty quickly that the video had elements of being doctored, and so people were kind of skeptical of why that was done, mm. because in the video, okay, I'll describe what happens in the video, and then kind of talk about, like, what was done in it that made people kind of extra iffy about it. Um, in the video, Elisa is seen entering the elevator, she presses multiple buttons, and then she kind of steps back. Uh, the elevator door doesn't close any of the time that she's in the video. 
Um, she steps forward and looks outside the cab in both directions really quickly before stepping back again. Um, she then kind of like backs into the front corner of the cab as if she's hiding, which is what Becca was talking about. Like she just seems kind of scared, like sort of like paranoid because we never see anyone else in the video, but she just seems like she's being pursued or she's just nervous. See, she peeks out once more before stepping outside and she does kind of like a little jump and a sidestep motion. Um, she then steps back into the elevator really quickly before stepping back out again. Um, she stands outside for several seconds before coming back in and she's kind of got like her hands over her ears. But then she starts pressing several buttons again. Like it looks like she's pressing a lot more than she did the first round of button pushing. And then after this, she steps outside the cab again, um, and the door still is never closing. Like, the elevator door is just open. And she kind of begins, like, waving her hand in the doorway, almost as if she's, like, testing, like, does it sense there's something there? Is that's why it's not closing? Um, and a lot of people, and, and I kind of felt this way too in the video, like, maybe there's some kind of distortion or something on the video, but, like, her arms and hands almost kind of look elongated, and people describe them as looking kind of like boneless because like her fingers and stuff seem like they're like almost bending backwards. But she just says it's a very kind of strange like fluid motion. Um, and she does like these little crouches and kind of like holds her forearms in front of her. Like kind of like putting her, her forearms together. Kind of like twisting them together a little bit. And then she finally kind of just she walks away from it. So you can't see her, because you can kind of see the hallway outside the video, or outside the elevator. Several seconds go by and the door finally closes, and then they keep opening and closing several more times, which at first I was like, oh, like, what? why is it opening and closing? No one's in there. But if you look, the wall outside changes color, so I think it was finally just going up and down the floors yeah, from where she had pushed the buttons. But I didn't, I mean, I guess maybe it was just overloaded, like, why it didn't go until she had stepped outside and, like, left it. It makes me wonder if it was malfunctioning and maybe, like, an alarm was going off and that's why she covered her ears. I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I feel like, because they talk about alarms and stuff like that later in relation to, like, how she got to the roof, and they say that there was no alarms that went off. Hmm. Um, but part of the video that I didn't notice the first time until I saw one that was sped up to uh, regular speed, the video was slowed down pretty significantly. And the timestamp is blurred out, so you can't see the time very well, but you can see it well enough to see that the minutes kind of jump at different parts when the elevator is empty. And so there's 54 to 55 seconds of footage that is just gone. And a lot of people were like, well, no, they probably slowed down the footage so that way people could see Lamb's face and like clothing and stuff like that more readily. And they were like, well, maybe they took out you know, extra footage because it was irrelevant or it was empty. Um, some people thought that maybe there was someone who came into the elevator who was unrelated to the case and they just didn't want people speculating, which I get. I mean, considering how much attention this was getting while it was going on. Yeah. I feel like they would have, like, if there's this much, specu this much, much speculation, they should have, like, released a statement being like we slowed it down we blurred the timestamp because of this and there was also another passenger and we just didn't want their identity being you know well yeah i mean that's why people get kind of weird about this stuff because they're like well why don't you just do that and they're like well because it's fine it's no big deal it's whatever is it 
Is it fine? That so the video itself, like I'm gonna fight the whole LAPD. I was already mad at them for other stuff. I'm yeah. They they've been being bad. They've been always bad. So bad. Um, but again the the elevator video is probably like the most well known aspect of this case. And um this part, like uh I think Becca's gonna go over most of it, but kind of like a small preface. This part kind of delves into the whole like possible paranormal aspect of it, but I kind of just took it as if this has any part in it, I think it she would have only attempted something like this if she was having like a manic episode or some kind of like, you know, if she wasn't psychosis and having kind of like delusions of like doing something mm-hmm. paranormal that wasn't actually going on. Because people talked about this elevator game or whatever, but I couldn't find anything that actually said that she was aware of it or had written about it on her blog or or her Tumblr or anything like that. But a lot of people were speculating about it. Okay. Well, it's called Elevator Game. It's a game from Korea, and by performing this ritual, you're supposed to get to a different world. According to people that have successfully completed the game, it looks the same as the town or building that you're from, but all of the lights are off and you can only see a red cross in the distance. There are no other living things here except yourself. Some say electronics like phones, cameras, etc. don't work. Well, some say they do. Also, some say that getting back to the real world is harder for some reason. Um, You get disoriented and forget the elevator you came on, or somehow the elevator seems to get further and further away as you walk towards it. How to play? You must be in a 10-plus story building and in the elevator alone. If someone is in the elevator with you, it won't work. Uh, Step one is get on the elevator on the first floor. Step two, press four, and when you reach the fourth floor, don't get out and press two. When you reach the second floor, press six. When you reach the sixth floor, press two. When you reach the second floor, press ten. When you reach the tenth floor, press five. And when you reach the fifth floor, a girl will come in. That woman is not human. Don't talk or look at the girl. Uh, If you do, she'll take you away. Uh, The eighth step is to press one, and if the elevator instead starts going up to the tenth floor, then you have succeeded. You will have reached another world where there is no one except you. Uh, Step nine is if you get off at the tenth floor, the girl will ask, where are you going? But don't answer. Um, And then the instructions on how to return. One, if the woman doesn't get on and if you don't get off the 10th floor. Um, Two, if you don't get off at the 10th floor, then press one. If it doesn't press, keep on pressing until it works. Creepy game. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like you hear games like this, like the, what was the one a while back where people were trying to like talk to Charlie or something? Oh, yeah. But it was supposed to be like a demon or whatever. Yeah. That Ouija nonsense, people being bad. (sighs) Silly. So this one, again, like, I feel like it doesn't totally fit just because she pressed a bunch of buttons at once and wasn't waiting for it to go up or down. And just the broad fact that we don't know if she even was aware of this game. But, of course, people looking for, like, a paranormal, like, explanation for it were like, it's the elevator game. It makes perfect sense. You know what it makes me wonder? It makes me wonder if the elevator just wasn't working and she was trying to get it to work and that's why she like kept getting on and off like is someone pressing a button? Is someone doing this? And like yeah she was acting a little weird but maybe she had just woken up from a nap or I don't know. You never know what someone's thinking that and they're alone so I do some weird shit when I'm alone. Um, <laughs> yeah some of like her like the little like jumping and stuff like that. I was like I feel like I do kind of like 
not odd movements, I wouldn't even call them, but just like kind of, you know, goofy stuff when you think you're by yourself and then someone turns yeah. a corner and you're like, please God, don't <sighs> let him, don't let them see me Naruto running. Yeah, exactly. I've like, never Naruto run in my whole life. Me either, but, but you know what I mean. Stuff like that, where you're just like, you do stuff because no one's there. Maybe she yeah. stepped out because since it wasn't working, she was looking for, like, an employee to be like, this is broken. What makes me scared is that she talked to an employee and an employee has killed her. She was like, oh, the elevator's not working, and then gone. And they're like, oh, well, here, follow me up these stairs. Yep. But, and I thought I'd put something in this area here about, like, the elevator stuff, but maybe it's later on in the notes. But um, there was some people who thought that because of, like, the movement and stuff that she could have possibly been um, under the influence of some kind of party drug, like ecstasy or something like that. Aww. And, but then it, nothing showed up in her talk screen and they were like, well, it could have broken down because they didn't find her for a while. Or they were like, maybe she took, a, like, a special, you know, batch that didn't show up in whatever but just because i've never done party drugs but they were like you know if she had taken something or had been given something you know sometimes it can make you kind of move like in a in a way you wouldn't normally yeah (sighs) but that's the the last like like visual footage or anything that people had of her but this is kind of just like discovery and sort of our, like, closing thoughts on on what we have about it. This part was a little gross. Uh, Guests at the hotel began complaining of low water pressure and black-colored, foul-smelling water. Um, When employees went to investigate the water tanks on top of the building on February 16th, about two weeks after she had gone missing, they found her body floating in one of the cisterns. Um, The tank had to be drained and was actually cut open from below by firefighters to remove her body. Many guests left because they were grossed out. Um, And the ones that were, like, long-term people had to sign a waiver saying that they were aware. Um, They did tests on it, and they were like, there's nothing in here that will, like, seriously hurt you, but they still put, like, a do-not-drink order in place. Yeah. Um, One thing I noted, um, it said that one of the long-term guests said that there had been a flooding, or flooding in an upper-level room when Lan went missing, like, around that time. Um, But then I read something else that said that it was on the fourth floor. Hmm. And I think this, I want to say it's a 15-story building. I can't remember exactly, but... So I was confused on that, where one said it was fourth floor, which she was staying on the fifth floor. So if someone possibly, like, drowned her in her own room and then took her to the roof or something like that. But, um... So that was a note that I thought was interesting, but I couldn't really find much to, like, follow up on being like, why would there have been flooding? Did it have to do with her being in the tank, or was it separate? Mm-hmm. Um, when they found her, she was naked, but her clothing, room card, and watch were all found floating in the water as well. So they were either dumped there with her, or if somehow she was able to get into the tank on her own, um, she could have possibly then like undressed in there. Um, her body showed no f- uh, obvious physical like outward trauma. Um, but her autopsy report, um, it was delayed for a long time and the whole thing was just fraught with problems and there was a lot of suspicion about it. Um, her toxology report showed nothing other than trace amounts of her regular medication, um, and ibuprofen. Um, a full screen could not be done though because not enough of her blood was preserved. So they're kind of like, well, here's a toxology report. It's not a full report. But it's one. 
Oh, and here's where I put it. Her behavior in the video made some people think she was on a party drug. But they were like, if it's not there, it could have just broken down. And that's why we don't see it. So a rape and fingernail kit were taken, but it's not clear if they were ever tested. That's a common issue. Yeah, big surprise. God, so frustrating. Um, due to the state of the decomposition, it was hard to tell if she'd been sexually assaulted. Uh, blood pooling and prolapse in the anal area was pointed to as a sign of assault, but pathologists noted that it could have resulted from bloating during the course of decomposition. That's so sad. I know. Officially, her death is considered accidental drowning, contributed to by her bipolar condition. But again, the report makes it appear that this was not a firm conclusion. Um, the accident box is checked on June 15th, but then three days later, undetermined was checked instead, only for it to be crossed out and noted as an error in the three days before the report was released. There are also a lot of questions about how she could have gotten into the tanks and drowned all alone. Doors and stairs leading to the roof are locked, and it's only staff that have the keys and passcodes needed to access them. Any attempt to force the doors open results in an alarm, allegedly. It should be noted that apparently the roof is accessible by fire escape. The question also remains how she could have gotten into the tank alone, let alone replace the lid. The tanks are eight feet tall and propped up on cinder blocks. The staff needed ladders to look into the tanks when they discovered her body, and the lids were heavy enough that it would have been extremely difficult to pull it back on top from within. Which leads me to think that it was either a hotel worker or someone who has worked at a hotel before, because they would have known, you know, it's going to take them a while to find her body. It's going to... I don't know. It just, to me, I really doubt that she could have crawled in there on her own and they're they're honestly like easier ways to do that sort of thing especially if you're staying alone in a hotel by yourself Mm -hmm. if it was you know suicide i just well i feel like they also i mean they knew that she had been acting strangely since they'd had to like move her to a different room Mm -hmm. and stuff so i just feel like i don't know and with the whole alarm thing, the the employee who actually found her said that to get to the roof, like, he had to disarm all of the, the alarms. So I guess they technically were working at the time that it happened. Mm-hmm. I guess there's always still, like, the fire escape yeah. thing. But it just, I don't know. It was, I thought it was strange. And the autopsy report being really vague and like the whole like it's accidental but you know she could have been drugged like i read something about is it ghb what's the date rape drug i can't remember Th- I wanna... is it thc i thought it was ghb i thought i had a g in it but whatever it is it's it's water soluble i think mm-hmm. and so you know being in a tank for two weeks i don't know if it would have shown up especially if they didn't do like a full a full report and I feel like if she had been, like, abducted or assaulted and she was knocked out, I mean, she's not going to struggle, so there's not going to be any outward trauma. Yeah, that, and I mean, depending on what the water is like in L.A., I mean, if it's harder or softer, you know, that can make a difference and chemicals react differently. Mm-hmm. So it was just a lot of unanswered questions. And, I mean, I feel like they were under a lot of pressure to, like, produce results And so Mm -hmm. I was kind of surprised that it still was as inconclusive as it was. Yeah. Because so many people were looking at them just because it was kind of a high-profile case after the elevator video came out. But the the only other note that I put, and I couldn't find 
a whole lot to substantiate any like official connection. Um, but around the same time that Elisa Lam died, um, there was another lady named Tina Huang who, um, you know, similarly to, uh, to Elisa was like a young Asian woman who was found drowned on a beach nearby around the same time. Um, initially it was, they were trying to figure out if it was a drowning, um, hers, when I read about it, it said that after her toxicology report came back, it was labeled as a homicide, Hmm. but I couldn't find what in the toxicology report. So I don't know if it looked like she had been drugged. Um, but similarly, not a lot of outward trauma. So could have been like drugged and then put in the ocean. Um, but the part that I thought was really strange was that, you know, this lady was found on the beach. Elisa Lamb's clothing was found, you know, with her in the tank, and it was covered in sand-like particulate, is what they called it. Hmm. Which, unless, you know, the water is just sandy, like, and it goes through some kind of filtration system before it leaves the tank. Yeah, that's weird. Just seemed odd. Like, just that that connection. Mm -hmm. There was, I can't remember her name, but there was another young lady who, um passed away I want to say in April of that year and they thought that one might have been connected because she was also found on the beach but with that one it turned out there was some kind of festival or something nearby and she had actually fallen off of a cliff into the water oh god so that one at first they thought might be connected and they were like maybe there's someone who's targeting um because the other lady I want to say was Hispanic her last name was Ayala it was Giselle Ayala but um but that one, the the falling thing kind of threw me off. But she'd also been like at a festival and they were like, we think she might have just um, been overserved. And then at this festival, they've had people before fall off this cliff and I guess somehow survive. But she died from her injuries and they found her on the beach and they were like, this is kind of similar. But you'd think that they would rope that off or like you think. I mean, I guess if people are at a festival and they kind of just want to do whatever they they want but at the same time i'm like if you know people have been falling off like do more than just put like a rope in front of it like have someone patrol it maybe they do i didn't do a whole lot of research into that part i was just trying to see if there's any other victims that had like a similar kind of like mo but Uh but yeah so that one i i thought was was interesting but i never like i couldn't find a follow-up to see if anyone was ever charged with that crime yeah again tina huang she wasn't um she hadn't gone to court yet, but she had been accused of prostitution and had a couple of of marks of that. And she actually had been in jail, like, awaiting trial, and her lawyer had gotten her out. And her lawyer felt bad because then she died while she was out. And he's like, maybe she just would have been safer if she had that's still sad. been in. Sad. But, um, but again, I mean, that's a little bit different because they didn't have that in common since Elise Liam uh, wasn't a sex worker. But, uh, it just seemed kind of strange. The sand thing, I, I was, I don't know, from all these crime shows, I feel like they're always like, well, we found this sand and we can tell by, uh, smelling it that it's from this beach in this city, you know, this quadrant or whatever. And I'm just like, could they not tell, like, sand-like particulate? Is it sand or is it not sand? I don't know. Sand-like. I mean, (laughs) I feel like they would have said it was sand if it was. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it also, it's like, well, then what is it? Like, did you guys run tests on it? Because I feel like that would be the next natural step to take. Mm-hmm. Just thought. There was also one article I read, um, which had a lot of other good information, but then the one thing I couldn't back up anywhere, but I thought it was 
interesting if anyone else has read this or, or seen this like substantiated anywhere. Um, I read that they found like a men's like shirt or a man's shirt or like men's clothing in there as well. Hmm. But then I couldn't find that anywhere else. Hmm. Which I feel like if it was, it would have been a part of the bigger report or people would have made a bigger deal out of it. Yeah, I don't know. I just, from what it seems to me, it sounds like someone who had a, had knowledge about how hotels work and that, like, the alarm, or at least that, like, system, how the alarms work and knew that the fire escape would be the only place to go that where the alarms wouldn't go off, Mm -hmm. probably killed her and, or drugged her and then dumped her in the tanks. Mm -hmm. Because I just, like, I don't think it would have been someone who didn't have that sort of, like, knowledge about how the hotel works. Mm -hmm. And obviously she can't, like, I, like, that's so much prep work to commit suicide that and there's i don't it just doesn't make sense to me like i really think that she was murdered i do too well because even the whole like accidental drowning like i guess if she was like in a bout of mania i know sometimes like you can kind of get that feeling like you're invincible and you can do whatever but i'm like Mm -hmm. even if she was having that and was like i'm gonna go swim in that tank and no one can stop me you wouldn't put the lid back on yeah i'm like how would you get it like the latch on it was undone when they found it which i guess is what kind of prompted them to look into it so whoever did it, like it wasn't back on all the way so it was a little bit haphazard but just the way like when you see pictures of the tanks and stuff like you would have to work pretty hard and would be really difficult to do by yourself like i think it took multiple people to get the entire thing off yeah so it's just just a lot a lot of stuff Like, the only other thing I can think is if she was drugged and was going through mania at the same time and was like, yeah, I can swim, but it still doesn't make sense with the whole lid thing. Mm -hmm. Like, that and, I don't know, it's just, it's very strange. It is. And it's just made sadder by the fact that there's not really, there's no, I mean, it's considered closed, like, you know, people who are interested in it still kind of, like, look for information Um, Her parents uh, sued, like, did a wrongful death suit against the hotel, saying that, like, Mm -hmm. the tanks should have been more secured and all this other stuff. And they were like, you know, we've never had someone try to get into the tanks before. We've got alarms. Like, there's no other way to get up there without staff being made aware. And so the case was dropped and everything. And it's just, you know, just kind of like the end of it. People were like, oh, it was an accident. (sighs) Too bad, so sad. And I'm just like, doesn't it leave a bad taste in your mouth? Just being like, something is not right. Like, something is off. And you're just cool to just leave it there. But... This is why no one should live in LA. (laughs) It's hell town. That's my, like, ending thoughts. People think... (laughs) People think it's great. From what I can gather, it's not. (sighs) It's just, uh... Unless you're super rich. Yeah, I was gonna say... Who got that kind of money? <laughs> you gotta uh, throw balls around or um, be on TV or movies. That was kind of most of, of what we found on, on this case and a, a pretty broad swath of the Cecil Hotel. Like we mentioned before, there's a, there's a lot that has gone on there. We just kind of wanted to get a general 
layout of kind of like the area that we were dealing with and why this was sort of like the cherry on this weird murder-suicide cake that is the Cecil Hotel. Now stay on me. Don't don't stay there is basically what we're telling you. Don't stay there. Don't do it. It's not worth it. I'm scared for you and I don't want you to do it, okay? So we hope that was was interesting, but we also hope that people kind of take it as a, you know, sometimes you hear stories like this and I think it's good to take a moment and kind of examine it as a, like, it's a real person, you know, with a family and it's not always ghost, ghost, demon, <laughs> yeah, portal to hell, spooky, scary stuff. Sometimes just regular old real life is unfortunate and sad and scary. Yeah. So there's your bummer. Enjoy your bummers. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, sometimes I feel like we have these great episodes and then we get to the end and we're just like, oh. There's no way to end on a positive note. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, and I feel like that's fine. Sometimes something is just sad and bad and... Scary. Yeah. And there's no way to, like, wrap it up and just be like, hey, guys, wasn't that a cool, fun story? See you next time on Ghost Emoji. All bummers all the time. Time to cry. 90% bummers. 10% goofs. Yep. <laughs> that's it. That's the podcast. What do we want to talk about next? next episode? Oh, I don't know. We have been talking about, because we both really enjoy scary video games, and we haven't actually done one yet, um, mm -hmm. so we might kind of peek around and see what we've played, or if there's anything that we can play between now and then. I've been thinking about doing Oxenfree. Um, we both played Night in the Woods, which kind of has some paranormal elements, but is mostly just scary for young adult real life reasons. Yep. <laughs> Despite all the cute kitties and crocodiles and bears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and also this, uh, I think it's this Friday, uh, the new Annabelle movie comes out. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. The Annabelle, the creation. Oh, boy. <laughs> Which, those are always fun just since, you know, uh -huh. Annabelle is real in real life. <laughs> Except she's a Raggedy Ann doll. <laughs> she's, she looks a little different. She's had a makeover. Or a makeunder. It's so funny because I, I can't be scared of her because I had one as a kid. And so I'm just like, uh, Okay. I think there's a pretty obvious reason why in the movie she looks like a hell doll. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of, not even just like copyright stuff like Raggedy Ann and Andy didn't want it associated with it. Just just the pure fact that no one's going to be scared of you, Raggedy Ann. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. <laughs> nope. I might do that. But either way, I'm just happy to be back on schedule and getting everything all figured out. Even though I had fun on my, my trip last weekend, I was sad when Monday night rolled around. I was like, there's no new episode tomorrow. I was too busy eating poutine and drinking coffee in Canada town. Sad. What about, what about all the ghosties? <laughs> Sometimes it's gotta wait. We appreciate everyone. Wait for us. Wait for us. <laughs> So, but we'll have something for you next week. Um, but in the meantime, if you if you like what you're hearing, we always appreciate a good review on uh, the old iTunes over at Ghost Emoji. You can keep up with us over on uh, YouTube, Ghost Emoji Podcast. I think so. <laughs> we may maybe nobody knows. We know so much about what we're doing. <laughs> well, we have to like change it, and it's like Ghost Emoji Show, Ghost Emoji Podcast. Yeah, Ghost Emoji. It's because other people take them, and don't they know that we're trying to build a brand? Give me my brand back. 
So we're on YouTube if you want to watch there. We're also on Podbean. Obviously, we're on iTunes if you want to subscribe there. We're on Twitter at Ghost Emoji Show. Um, so you can follow, retweet, like. Suggest stuff. Yeah. Or talk to us. Yeah. Just ask how we're doing. Life's hard, man. Just, it is. Just say being hi. Being alive is hard. <laughs> I know. I think being a ghost is hard. Try being alive. Try being alive. I wanted to plug a couple of things before we go. I do a podcast with my friend Cass uh, about video games and Mass Effect and sort of sci-fi stuff, and it's called uh, Embrace Eternity. And you can find us on YouTube or iTunes um, and just look up Embrace Eternity, I think, with Cass and Becca, um, or just Embrace Eternity. The podcast that launched... At least two other podcasts. Yes, yes, because we are also... <laughs> a million podcasts. <laughs> yeah, we are also, uh, both Taylor and I, in a um, podcast that I edit um, called RPG Friends Club, where we basically play a tabletop version of Mass Effect, but uh, we have our own characters and we're bounty hunters, and it's fun and it's silly and... Nerdy. It's just a barrel of laughs. It's very nerdy, yeah, so if that's not your... That's not your cup of tea. You don't have to check it out, but it is funny. And that is RPG Friends Club. And you can find us on YouTube and iTunes as well and Podbean. And then if you... If you can't tell, we sort of are fans of Mass Effect and sci-fi. And Becca has taken taken that love and turned it into a vast pinpire. My my pen empire, <laughs> yes. My pinpire. Um, I'm selling and making uh, enamel pens of the original trilogy characters. Well, not all of them, but some of them. I've done Femshep and I've done Garrus and Liara are both in pre-order thing. And uh, we're down to like less than 15 of the Black Nickel Garrus and I think 20 of the Black Nickel Liara. They're more popular than the silver, but um, they're like $12 a piece. And I have a promo going right now that is N7 Renegade in all caps and you can get if you buy two or more pens you get 15% off it's a pretty sweet deal but yeah you can check that out at um, glitterfangs.etsy.com I like that it's the two or more because that way you can get get your, your Femi Shep and your one true love mm. for life whether that be Garby or Liara yeah I haven't made the other love interests because Daniel wants me to do Miranda but if you've played Mass Effect Miranda's not super popular in the love interest rings. I mean, she's a popular character, but not as a love interest. And then a lot of people want Thane, which I don't have a problem with doing. It's just if enough enough people don't commit to a pre-order, then it's very expensive. So yeah, well, because you got to pay a certain amount to to get them, mm-hmm. and then if you if they don't buy them, they eat that cost. Yeah. But these first two, I mean, Liar and Garrus, they're classics. And they're so cute. Who doesn't love them? And they're them? really, like, well-made. I don't know. I'm looking at my little Sheppy pen right now. She's looking back at me. She loves you. And saying, you can you can do it. I believe in you. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks, Sheppy. Also, if you haven't played Mass Effect, you should. It's a trilogy, and it's very good. It's a little spooky. It's sci-fi. It's funny. It's, I don't know. It's good. It's just real good. It's sexy. It, it is a little sexy. It also has a lot of aliens, but that's... You know, I mean, we're doing a paranormal podcast. I don't know what you expected. So, <laughs> like, I don't know. Spooky Mulder. I, you know. Okay. Well, I'm done plugging things. <sighs>
All right, well. Becca's going to go take her midday nap. Yep. She loves naps. Actually, I'm going to go make chili. I don't nap. <laughs> I'm going to go make chili. <gasps> mm. Veggie chili. I'm going to go uh, clean my house because my mommy's coming to visit tomorrow. Yay! And even though I'm an adult, I'm terrified of uh, disappointing my mom and having her think I'm a slob. So Mommy cook. <laughs> so I'm going to go go do that. And also edit this episode feverishly and get it ready for, for Tuesday since I will be busy entertaining said mama tomorrow when mm-hmm. I normally do all my editing. Very important. Very important. <laughs> I guess until next time, everybody, stay spooky. Stay spooky.